0: Well, I have not had the joy to meet you. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church. I have the joy to open up God's word with you. If you have a Bible, uh, open your Bibles up to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 20 this morning. If you're new here, this might be your first time, Uh, in front of you there should be some connect cards. If you are at all interested in maybe getting to know the church a little bit more, maybe you have some questions about what we do here and why we do it, um, feel free, fill that out. We would love to follow up with you, help you kind of just take a next step, whatever that is. Um, Also, if you go to our website, it's called uh, vcob.org hub, uh, you'll have a digital connect card there, so maybe you forget, and uh, if you want to fill that out again, we'd love the opportunity to answer any of your questions and help you take a next step. If you fill those out in the room at the back of the sanctuary, there's a black box. You can just put it in there, and then somebody would would follow up with you and help you take a next step. Now, how many of you yesterday were at the extravaganza? Can you just raise your hand? (laughs) Holy smokes. Guys, that was crazy. It was organized, utter insanity. Okay, so What I didn't know was that 75,000 eggs wasn't enough. What we didn't know was that 2,500 hot dogs wasn't enough. Uh, I talked to multiple police officers, and their best guess was, well, they they were like, for sure, this is is about double of the largest egg hunt you guys have done, which was back in 2019. They were guesstimating between eight and 10,000 people over the three and a half to four hours rotated through that field. Both fields, (laughs) I was crazy, it was nuts. So, huge thank you to every single one of you who volunteered. Maybe you, like, met Village Church at that event, and you're like, hey, well, they're not too crazy. We'll come check them out. Um, truly want to welcome you guys here. Glad, just glad to have you. And uh, our desire was to love our community very well. Uh, it's always to collaborate with our police department anytime we can do that. It's to allow people just to see that, honestly, Jesus Christ is... Is, is the savior of the world and if anybody wants to have a conversation about that we are always open and then we want honestly every single kid in this city to know um, God loves them we love them and we are for them and so there's just practical simple ways to communicate love in a way that um, kids and moms and dads can, can receive so truly thank you um, usually every year I'm the MC at the microphone and I preach on Easter and have no voice so to the MCs who took my place this year praise God thank you <laughs> How many of you got a good burn? Like, I'm just kidding, Every Easter, I wear it proudly. I'm like, it's not my best look, but I'll, for the sake of Jesus, I'll burn my entire head and face. All right. Have you, have you ever felt massively misunderstood by someone else? Maybe just raise your hand. Oh, so it's like a general human experience. Good to know. Not the only, only one. Uh, like, you're, you're talking to somebody, and it's almost like they have no ability to decipher the, the words you're saying. Uh, sometimes there there are moments when when conversations are heavier. And I I need to know that when you and I walk out of this room, we are on the same page. And I might look at you and I'll say something like, can you say back to me what you hear me saying? And almost all the time, it's like, yes, we are simpatico. We are on, on the same page. And then every once in a while, somebody will say back to me. And I'm like... Either you weren't listening, or I'm a terrible communicator, or both. And we kind of got to start over and get back, get back to the same place. And then there are those moments where you're talking to somebody, you're telling a story, and you know they just don't care. Like, they're, they're, they're not even interested, and they're trying to feign interest, but you're like, I'm pretty sure that if I said, what did I just say? You'd go, I'm sorry, what? Those moments are incredibly irritating. You realize there's a difference between somebody acknowledging the fact that you're speaking... There's a difference between that person and then then the person who is trying. They're actually engaging. They're an active listener, and they're like, I want to understand what you're actually saying. But then there's a whole new category, and and those are the ones who actually walk away understanding in their mind, in their heart, what you said. They put themselves in your shoes. They empathize with you. And and we have a phrase for this, actually, that we we say in the English language. When when we walk away from someone or a group where we feel understood, we say this. I feel understood seen. And do you know what happens when we find a place where we feel seen? We run back to that place. It might be a group of friends. The worst thing is a group of friends who don't get you. It could be a Bible study. It could be a team. It could be a church. Like, the human soul is craving to be seen and understood. Now, as we get to the New Testament, uh, the New Testament is written in a dead language, which means nobody speaks it, but we can read and interpret it and understand it in writing. It's called Koine Greek. And it's a really nuanced language. And this is the language the New Testament was written in. And so, uh, to understand that language does open your eyes to some things that are, are happening. And the, the New Testament has three separate Greek words for the word see. Now, you're going to find this in John 20. You're going to see the word see or different versions of that word. and They're going to come up over and over and over again. But the Greek language, it actually uses different words. And I want to introduce you to these because it's going to be the key that's going to unlock John 20, which was John's story, personal firsthand account of the resurrection of, of Jesus. So here's the first word. The first is a word blepo. Blepo is it's kind of a fun word to say, but it basically means to see with your eyes, to see something factually. Like if you're driving down the road and the trees that go by you, you're blepoing those. You're not really thinking about them. You're not really paying attention to them. But like you see them, right? Like they're, they're there. They kind of just pass by you. That's, that's kind of blepo. It's just a very factual, I see it. There's no interest. There's nothing to stick out. I'm not thinking deeply about it. The second word is theorao. And this is a little different. This actually means to look closely, to scrutinize. It's kind of to squint your eyes and try to discern what's actually going on. There's a third level, though, of seeing in the Greek language, and it's, it's the Greek word, idon. And this is very different. I, idon is to see and to understand with, with not just your mind, but your heart. It's almost like a full-body immersive understanding, it's where understanding and empathy converge. This is the kind of thing that you actually want to know that your friends and your family and your loved ones, they on you. They understand you and get you uh, deeper than just some of the intellectual things, but on a soul level. And so in John 20, you're going to see all of these words come up. Now, before we jump into that text, um, there are a whole bunch of people here. It's Easter Sunday. And so there are a handful of you, and you were dragged here. You don't want to be here. Uh, You are doing your mom, your dad, your friend a solid, and you're like, literally, I would rather be anywhere else. And and honestly, you came in with very low expectations. And I'd say amen, but don't say that back. you're, you're kind of like, I'm doing my due diligence. Maybe you're like, I think God will like me better. It's, I don't know, it's Easter. I kind of grew up in a Christian tradition. Maybe I should go there. And, and honestly, the word blepo um, describes you pretty well. You're not totally paying attention to the lyrics. You're, you're, you're probably just kind of counting down the clock. You're like, is this guy a long preacher? I don't know. We're going to figure it out. But that's kind of maybe where you're at. Very normal, by the way. There are a bunch of those every Sunday morning. And then Easter, it's just... We we love our family well by going to church. When mom or dad or a friend says, "Please come with me," I'm begging you. One time a year, do this thing for me. And I'm really glad you're here. And I hope it's not a miserable experience. I hope at least you you're blessed in some way. You can go deeper in God's word, and uh, in some way, this is good for your soul. Then there are some of you here, and you're you're not a Christian, or maybe you're like kind of a Christian. You're like I think I'm a Christian. I don't know, and and but you're you're thinking. Like, you really are wanting to know more about Jesus. And the word theorao really does kind of capture you. Um, You're listening, and you're kind of listening to to the words I say and to the songs we sing. Sort of like you're squinting. You're like, I'm interested. I'll bite. Like, let's see what you got, preacher. Like, I'll consider what you're saying. And, And one of the things that I appreciate about you is you do have a desire to know eternal things. So if you're here and you're that camp, you're, you're well aware that you're going to die and you're going to face eternity and you can't escape it. And, and the moment you move from blepo on spiritual things to, to, to theorao, you're realizing like, I actually got to start taking all of this seriously because I actually don't know when I'm going to die. And I want to make sure that when I die, like I have secured that. And so there, I mean, there's just a whole lot of ideas and bad ideas out there. And so you're scrutinizing, you're you're trying to figure this out. And I truly pray that this is helpful for you. Every Sunday morning at Village Church, we have a large group of people who are just trying to figure it out. And we want this to be a safe, great place for you to ask the most difficult questions and go as deep as you wanna go, um, ask them. We love hard questions. And then there's probably the majority of you in this room, and don't really does capture you. Like, when you think about Jesus, you're like, I get it, I love him, I believe in him, I am convinced that he died on the cross for my sins, he was raised from the dead, and that you are here to worship the resurrected Jesus Christ, like, you are no longer searching for the source of authority and truth. You found it in Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And so you're actually free this morning. You're free to listen to the Word of God, let it teach you. You're free to just lift your voice. And, and so Easter is one of these mornings where, honestly, we get all three different kinds of people. And, and it is a great morning. I hope for all of us that we are, we are able to point you to Jesus and you were able to celebrate the resurrection or at the least, at the least, be compelled to ask more questions and go deeper in your faith. All right, John chapter 20. We're teaching, by the way, at Village Church on Sundays through the book of John. Two chapters left. We're almost done. I'm very excited for our next uh, series that we're going to teach. I'm going to hold you in lingo before I tell you all of that, but I'm very excited about it. And in John chapter 20, um, we're going to meet four very different people. And what John wants you to do is he wants you to look at the resurrection of Jesus through their eyes. He wants you to see what they're seeing. And the first person that we meet is Mary Magdalene. Okay, guys. This woman, there are so many rumors and misunderstandings about her. Like, if I were to ask you, like, was Mary Magdalene a a prostitute? The vast majority of people would say, Oh, yeah, of course. Like, that's not in the Bible. Here's what we do know about Mary Magdalene. Before she met Jesus, she was objectively evil. This woman had seven demons that Jesus, when he met her, he cast out of her. We, we don't know what kind of witchcraft, we don't know which kind of darkness was in her, but we do know that she got to a point where she was like, I'm done. And when she came to Jesus, she willingly let him cast those demons out of her. And she gave her life to Jesus and experienced transformation in a beautiful way. And so you find from the very beginning of Jesus, I mean, you find she is with him. She is so vital to his ministry. She is at the crucifixion. She's a financial funder of his ministry. She is at the empty tomb. She's the first person, actually, to even, like, receive the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus loved this woman, and she was faithful to the ministry of Jesus. So we meet her in verse 1, and here's what John says. He says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, pay attention to the word saw. This is the Greek word blepo. She is not really paying attention. She's coming with spices because she believes that Jesus is dead, and she's going to try to cover up some of the smell to bless the family, if you will. And so she bleppos, and she's probably seeing sort of like the way right now you see your nose. Did you know that you can see your nose right now? I think about it. Some of you are going to be cross-eyed by the time we leave here. <laughs> but it's in your such deep periphery that you don't, even, you don't even pay attention to it. But if you really think about it, it's always there hovering, and your eyes just sort of block it out. That's a really good example of, of what blepo is. So she sees, but she's not really putting two and two together. And and I want to be clear, and you're going to find this as the text unfolds. Mary has a zero category, by the way, that Jesus was raised from the dead. This isn't in her brain. So verse 2, two more characters show up. We have first Peter. Peter's the leader of the 12. Uh, If you know the story, Peter had just done... The very thing that no disciple of a master or rabbi should ever do. He publicly denied affiliation with his rabbi. It is, hands down, the most disgraceful thing that a, a, a disciple could possibly do to their master. He did this publicly. He is ashamed. And so that's, that's the Peter that we see. He's pretty discouraged. The other person we meet is John. He is the author of this gospel. John, who we meet here, wrote John 20. And he is writing this as his own personal testimony. You're gonna see this. Verse two, it says this. So she ran, Mary Magdalene, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. John's gonna always speak about himself without naming his name. It's customary. It's how they wrote. And then he says, uh, this is like the sort of the, 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 the name he gives himself, which is the one whom Jesus loved. And he said to them, she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. This drives me nuts. Because how many times did Jesus sit down with the disciples, with Mary in their presence, and, she, and he said, by the way, they're gonna arrest me, torture me, kill me, but don't worry, I'm gonna rise on the third day. It wasn't just once, this was a regular teaching. And she, she is looking at this series of events and she's not even giving it the possibility that somehow, maybe possibly, Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not even in, in her category. So look at verse three. It says, so Peter went out with the other disciples, so Peter and John, and they were going toward the tomb. This is really enjoyable, actually. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Nobody knows why he puts this in there. He actually, he actually <laughs> brings this up a second time uh, later in the chapter. I, I'm personally convinced that like, when he died, he was like, gotcha, haha, uh-huh, like to Peter. I don't know. And stooping to look in, he, John, the author who wrote this book, saw. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And again, I want you to notice this. This is the word blepo. John, he's seeing, but he's not putting anything together. He's honestly not even thinking about it. And so like Mary, he's looking, but there's just not much going on. But then in verse 6, Peter, he moves past John. John's just kind of sitting there. Peter moves past him. He goes into the tomb. And this is where John, who wrote the gospel, uh, he's going to actually use a different word than blepo. He's going to move to the next level. Verse 6, then Simon Peter, he came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up, isn't that weird? In a place by itself. All right, there's a ton happening here. All right, number one. Peter isn't just seeing the facts like Mary and John. Uh, this is the Greek word for araho, which means he is genuinely confused. He's looking, and he's like, something's going on here. I don't know. What could Peter do? It possibly be. I want to discuss for a moment how Jews buried their dead. So what they would do is they would take about a hundred pounds of aloe and spices, typically to cover up the stench. So what they would do is they would take each body part and they would wrap it in cloth and then they would coat it in aloe and spices. Then those would harden, sort of like a cocoon, and then they would wrap the entire body on top of that. So it was very tightly wrapped. But what they would do is they would have a separate wrapping for the head. These were done separately. I want you to remember back to the resurrection of Lazarus. It's kind of funny looking at how this happens. What happened to Lazarus when he was resurrected? John 11, 44, I'll read it for you. It says this, the man who had died came out, Lazarus. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Like, he comes out looking like a zombie. Now, I want you to imagine, though, he, like, that's probably not it. He is having a very difficult time because he's wrapped in 100 pounds of spices and aloe that have hardened. He can't see. He can't get himself out. And so he's like, okay, throw the guy a bone. Go help him. Get him out. Stop staring at him. He's alive. I told you what happened. Go over and do that. But with Jesus, something different happens. Something fundamentally different because I want you to look at verse six again. He saw, he scrutinized the linen cloths. Like he, he couldn't he couldn't get his mind around what he was seeing there. And then the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by by itself. Uh, literally this means that the cloths that that were used to wrap his body, it's literally were lying in in folds. But what's interesting is that this is this is just an idiom for saying they were exactly as they were but there was no body inside of it he's looking at this there was no undoing of the body of the wraps around his body it was as if the body evaporated and he's looking at this and he's got he knows the lazarus story when lazarus was raised from the dead it was a whole scene they had to rip everything off and all the hardened cocooned uh, linens all around his body and then his head and take it you know like and he's looking at this and this is not like that at all it's almost like the body just disappeared on the spot. Or as we would say, maybe he resurrected in a different way. But then there's a third very strange detail. John includes this, this little detail about the cloth that is folded up. Hmm. So Peter's looking at this, and he's like, interesting. Now, there, there's, a, there's a Jewish tradition that I find fascinating. Again, these are the things that, like, we're 2,000 years removed from this. These are these little details that John drops into the text just to show you some deeper things that are happening. It's a Jewish tradition, a very hospitality-driven culture. If you go to somebody's home, and they have provided you wonderful hospitality what you do is you take the napkin and you just leave it unfolded because you've been so good to me, you've fed me, you've prepared, you'll clean up after me as well. It's sort of the duty and joy of the host to do that. But if you go to a house and their hospitality was terrible, here's what you would do. You would take the napkin, you'd fold it up, you'd put it in place, and you would never go back to that place again. And that was your way of saying, you were a terrible host never walking through these doors again. There are few greater offenses in ancient Near Eastern culture than being a bad host. And it's almost like John is stepping back and, and almost like if Jesus were to say, death, you were a terrible host and I am never, ever coming back to this house ever again. And Peter, he's seeing all of this. And John uses the word theerao to show you he doesn't get it, but he's trying <laughs> He's like, there's something about this that doesn't make sense. Verse eight, then the other disciple, that's John, who reached the tomb first, by the way, don't forget that. He's a faster runner. (laughs) He also went in, and now we have this word again. And he saw, but now we have a whole new word group. He eyed on. When he looked, he understood. And I imagine he was like, I am so, How did I not see this? He said it. And then in this moment, he's got to go back to the beginning of the Bible and be like, yes, it was there, it was there. How did I not have eyes to see what is so blatantly and unbelievably obvious? Of course, the Messiah had to die. The Bible said it. The Old Testament prophesied it over and over again. He'd be pierced. Like, this is so ridiculously obvious. And it's like the scales were taken off of his eyes. And it says, he eyed on, he saw and believed For as yet, they did not, here's the same word, understand, I don, the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then it says, then the disciples went back to their home. And in this moment, John's like, I get it. What's interesting is that Peter doesn't get it yet, but John does. So verse 11 now, picks up Mary's story. It says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood, she looked into the tomb, and she saw. This is different. Remember, Mary had only blepoed. She would only just kind of seen but not paid attention. But now Mary is the Arao. Now she's a bit confused. Now Mary's looking into the tomb, and she's probably seeing what Peter saw, and she's like, that's strange. Like, it's like he evaporated. Wow. I, he folded up the cloth? That's rude. And she saw two angels sitting in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head And one at the feet. And they, verse 13, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Mary still doesn't get it. You're looking at angels. Now maybe... Maybe they were a bit hidden. We see from other gospel accounts they weren't. Maybe she's weeping. Well, she is weeping. So maybe the grief and the tears and the swollen eyes, like she's just not paying attention, but she's squinting. She's like, something isn't right. And so she's just, she's very, very emotional in this moment. As you would expect she would be if somebody took the dead body of the person you love the most in the world and disgraced their body in that way. Verse 14, having said this, or verse 13, she said to them, "Uh, woman, why are you sleeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. Verse 14, having said this, they... She turned around, and she saw Jesus standing. She's like, well, who are you now? But she did not know that it was Jesus. She's staring. She's scrutinizing. Verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. This girl has no categories. She doesn't get it. She saw angels, couldn't see them probably through her tears. She's again Jesus. She has no category for resurrection. In verse 16, I just think it's so special. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You know know there's some people, they just say your name in their own kind of way. And, And when they say your name, you don't have to see them. You just know exactly who it is. It's like in that moment she heard it and she wipes away her tears and she's like, she gets it. She gets it. Look at verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I done. I have seen him. I get it. I understand it. And John is communicating. She went from blepo to just being oblivious, to tharao to being confused, to idon, to fully understanding what she is watching. She sees and she believes in the resurrected Jesus. Verse 19, the scene shifts to roughly 36 hours later. And we're gonna we're gonna meet one last person here. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So, John wants you to know something very, very important in John 20. Jesus' body, resurrection body, can move through matter. It already moved right through the linen cloths, no problem whatsoever. Now they're in a room, the doors are locked, and Jesus is like, Hey guys, what's up? Peace be with you. I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh my like, goodness. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad, what an understatement, when they, I don't, saw him. And John's communicating. John is communicating. They are seeing, understanding in their head and their heart, and they are filled with joy because they believe that Jesus Christ was not just crucified, but was risen from the dead When they experienced personally the resurrection of Jesus, they finally got it. Fortunately, one of them is missing, and his name's Thomas. Verse 24 says, Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, he wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen Idon the Lord, we have seen him, we believe it, this is incredible. But he said to them, unless I see Idon experience in his hand the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I mean, can we just agree extreme grief can make us very irrational in moments? Now, if you were Jesus and you saw... This this Thomas who you had walked with for three years and you loved him and you died on the cross for his sins, how long would you wait to just pop up and show up right in front of him and show him your resurrected self? I would have done it right away because I'm impulsive and lack patience apparently. Not Jesus. Verse 26 says, eight days later. What? His disciples were inside again and finally Thomas was with them and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said again, I love this. He's like, hey, I'm here, pop, hey. Just out of nowhere. Peace be with you. Relax. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see, I don't believe this. Understand this. Like, put it in your head, put it in your heart. Get on the same page because this thing is real. And see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Mary, Peter, John, Thomas, they all had something in common. dense as doornails. Anybody relate? Don't nudge your husband or wife. <laughs> Stop that. But then they met the resurrected Jesus. And when you, when you meet Jesus, there is there's just no denying it. You're like, he's risen from the dead. I, I know this. And, and everything changed. And, and what's interesting is that the reason we know about Jesus uh, is because we have a second-hand account of somebody who saw the resurrected Jesus, and his name is John. John wrote John wrote this gospel from a first-hand experience. And I want to tell you, this gospel has been so wonderfully preserved for 2,000 years. I think some people uh, have it in their head that somehow uh, the gospel of John or other books of the Bible are like uh, John told somebody who told somebody who told somebody, and then some council or some king wanted to change the Bible and put it kind of his own things in there. And that is literally, like historically terrible information, not even accurate. And, and in fact, we, we have manuscripts. Uh, from as early as 30 to 40 years after this was written of the Gospel of John. And what you're reading when you read the Gospel of John, this isn't a sixth hand account. It is as good as if John stood on this stage. If he read his testimony or spoke his testimony, it is literally all of you who hear it are hearing a secondhand account of the person who was in ministry with him for three years, who actually stood with him, the only disciple of the 12 who walked with him in the crucifixion, saw it happen, saw the events. John 19 tells that whole story. That's a firsthand account. John 20, all of this is his firsthand account. It is as good and real as if the very person who was present and saw it was standing here with you that's how good these words are and and what we know is, is that these words have been preserved with unbelievable accuracy so that you can trust his story as if it was him standing here testifying to you personally now at the end of our messages we ask a question and the question is so what like what do i do with this what is the demand on my life for this and I have once a so what for you. And, and I've thought deeply and, and throughout the book of John as we've been teaching it, what, what would John tell you at the end of these sections that we're, we're teaching on? I think John would stand up and he would look at everyone in this room and he would say this. I was there. Trust me and believe in the resurrected Jesus. None of us are probably gonna have the privilege to have a firsthand, visible witness to the resurrected Jesus until we're dead. But everyone in this room, we have the testimony of that firsthand witness. We are not hundredth-hand witnesses. We are now culpable and responsible as a group 2nd secondhand witnesses of, of somebody who watched, lived, and literally gave his life, his ministry, everything for this fact that Jesus Christ is not just another dead, fake, faux, Jewish rabbi, he really is God in the flesh, the Son of God, and John has one life mission, and that is to make sure that every single person hears from a first-hand account that what he is saying is accurate, true, and reliable. And it can be corroborated because Jesus didn't just show himself to John. Jesus showed himself to hundreds of people in the 50 days between his resurrection and ascension. 40 days, I'm sorry. And so there are literally so many people who could corroborate this story. And so John would look at everyone in this room and he would probably ask you, if he had like an individual conversation with each of you one by one, he would look you in the eyes and say, you already know you're a sinner. Have you ever personally trusted in Jesus Christ as your God and Savior? Have you told him you're sorry? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you told him, I believe that Jesus Christ, he isn't just God, he's my God. That he died on the cross for my sins and was raised again on the third day. By the way, in order to be saved, you have to believe those things. You have to believe that you're a sinner, that Jesus is God, died for your sins, and was raised from the dead. There's no negotiation in the Bible with that one. But there's some of you here and you're like, listen, I, I, I do believe that for sure. I've never told God I'm sorry. I've never asked him to save me. And, and what I love about the Bible, what I love about our God is that anybody, anybody, no matter how evil and sinful and rebellious you are, no matter what you've done, anybody who calls on the name of Jesus and believes in him will be saved once for all and forever. And we celebrate the historical reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Well, he's he's what the Bible calls the first fruits, meaning the first of many to come. And the promise when you look at the resurrection of Jesus is that anybody who believes in him will be resurrected to eternal life bodily, physically, and forever. And that is the hope and the gift that God gives to every person who trusts in Christ. And so I just want to ask you in this moment, have you personally trusted in Jesus. There's not a magical formula. Literally, at any time, no matter where you are, you can literally just pray and say, God, I am sorry. I love you. I've sinned against you. I believe in Jesus. Will you save me? I believe he died for me and was raised from the dead. And if that's a decision that you've never made before and you wanna, you wanna make it today, we would just love to celebrate with you. Tell somebody you came with. Come and talk to us. And We'd love to help you take next steps as you follow Jesus. Now, here's what I do know. I do know that there are a whole bunch of people who know that they should do that but won't because when you do it, you're admitting that you've been wrong the whole time. You see what I'm saying? Right? It's why, it's why men don't like saying they're sorry the older they get because to say you're sorry over things you've done your whole life means you're wrong. Now, let's be clear. Who cares? If you're wrong, you're wrong. Own it. Extreme ownership is one of just, I think, the highest human values. Like, Own it. And if you know today that Jesus is God, if you know that and you have never believed in him, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Make a decision today and then tell the people you came with because it will be the single greatest decision of your life. It is the beginning of an eternity living with God. And so I wanna I want take a moment, I wanna pray for, for you and pray for us and we're gonna to continue to sing and celebrate our resurrected savior together. Father, we love you, I'm so thankful that Father, Son, and Spirit, you coordinated the perfect plan of salvation where we could be freed from our sins. We just confess to you that we are sinners and there is no humanly possible way that we could have saved ourselves. There is no human who had enough good works to outweigh our sin. And so God, I am so thankful that you have given us Jesus and uh, Jesus, I am thankful for the cross. What you bore is unimaginable. Thank you for the resurrection. What an incredible reminder that, uh, that the ex- sacrifice of Jesus was accepted by God the Father and that anybody, what a great declaration between heaven and hell and humanity and all of history that anybody who believes in the resurrected Jesus Christ with for the forgiveness of their sins is saved and once and for all and forever. So Father, if there's any, even anybody in this room who's just still wrestling and wondering, um, God, I pray you would help them just like you helped Mary and Peter and John, and the disciples, and Thomas, that you would help them see with clarity the resurrected Jesus, and you would help them to believe. We love you, and we worship you, and we do all of this in the name of our resurrected Savior, Jesus. Amen, Ville Church? Amen. Amen.